Oh, I'm so sweaty. Oh, it's horrible. electronic wireless show it is the 21st of june it is incredibly hot in the uk so adam and i are melting whereas brendy is just in a state of perma melt hello adam hello and hello brendy hello marvelous uh i'm philippa war I should probably have introduced that in a slightly more logical way, but suddenly the heat was a pressing concern. <laughs> How are you both? I'm tired, but I'm okay. I'm okay. Yeah, it's I, I was at E3 last week, and it's hotter in Manchester than it was in Los Angeles, and that oh, is intolerable. Wow. <laughs> I live in Costa Rica, so it's always hot here, so I have no pity for any of you. But we're now commiserating with you. Do you not feel included suddenly? No. Oh. Just feel um, vindicated. <laughs> well, anyway, <laughs> I thought that given uh, we have had enough of talking about how hot it is, why don't we talk about the games that we like, or rather pick out a game that is amazingly chilly? Because for me, I've been thinking longingly of the long dark all of those snowscapes, you know? Yeah, the, the Long Dark is an excellent one because it, it captures that lovely feeling of being um, tucked up somewhere warm while it's really cold outside, and that's that's lovely. It's, it's like that thing of sitting inside and looking at rain outside a window and thinking, I'm sheltered, and the Long Dark does that with the cold. Uh, it does if you get to shelter. Oh, God. You, <laughs> I should, should you, point out. You need out. to get to shelter. That's very That's vital, yeah. My longest game on that, I lived for two months, I think. Oh, wow. I, in-game months, not. I didn't just play it for two months straight. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I'm, I'm, I'm a long dark pro. Nice. I should yeah. probably come to you for if tips. If it was an eSport, I'd be winning. Can you imagine that? The long dark <laughs> is an eSport. Just people sitting by fires for days on end. <laughs> oh, God. What's yours? What's your cold game of choice? Uh, me, mine's Near Death, which um, we tragically didn't review, um, and I played it a long time after it came out, which is um, this uh, indie game where you're stranded in an Antarctic research base, and everything's broken, and you talk, you have to reactivate radio so you can talk to people back at home, uh, like at, at your home base, to get help with surviving, basically, and then to escape, uh, and it's this really um, intensely difficult um, survival game, which I'd call survival horror. There's no supernatural elements, but it is genuinely horrifying because you're just uh, at risk of death constantly. Um, and yeah, that that feels colder than just about anything else I can think of. Hmm. Brendy? 
Um, I, I I might have a boring answer, but I thought not vanilla Skyrim, but whenever you put a load of survival mods on Skyrim, um, including mods that make the weather have an actual effect on your body. Oh yeah. Feels pretty cold because I did that once, where I kind of wandered around with all these uh, frosty mods on, and. Yeah, it feels quite cold. You have to get like you have to go between fires to try and make yourself warmer. You have to make make sure that you don't go into water because if you go into water, you'll get hypothermia and die. I was literally going to ask. I was going to say, is that the one way you can die of hypothermia if you get in the water? Yeah. yeah so you basically have to avoid it, which is counter to how you normally play an Elder Scrolls game, which is just where's the shortest way from here to here? Oh, it's across this river. I'll just swim it. <laughs> um, but you never, you never think that when you have these mods on, you just think I can't, I can't do that. I have to start a fire here. I've got a law question. Does coffee exist in the Elder Scrolls world? Don't believe it does. No, there, mo- I, there's, there's definitely some other potion some, or yeah. something that 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 is like coffee. I'd love it if you could just, yeah, it's actually magic. You had to cook up an alchemical potion. I wonder if they have tea. They probably have teas. Imagine they'd have, like, mushroom tea or something. Yeah. Nun root tea. That was one of the things I liked doing when I was playing it, though, was making hot chocolate and drinking that while I was playing Skyrim, and it did give me the exact feeling you said, Adam, of being inside somewhere warm while looking out at somewhere cold. Oh, that sounds so nice. I really want the weather to hurry up and make that a thing that I can do without it being incredibly weird. But yeah, so, shall we uh, turn our attention to your travels, Adam? Your E3 stravaganza? Well, wouldn't you know, I played a very cold game at E3. Um, <gasps> so, I played lots of the big games, but I first of all want to talk about a smaller game, um, which is Frostpunk. Uh, and that's from the, the developers of this war of mine, um, which is the side-on kind of management survival game set in a war-torn city and Frostpunk is their new game and it takes place in I was going to say the far future but it's the near future when the world has been destroyed by um, inclement weather uh, <laughs> Oh no, how near? Did they say? Did they tell you? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> is this the weather forecast? Yeah, it was essentially a short-term weather forecast in the form of a game and um, <laughs> and yeah, everything got very cold and Pretty much everyone died. Have you seen the film Snowpiercer, which is uh, set on the train? Uh, yeah, film set on a train in a post-apocalyptic world where uh, the snow has taken over. It's a little like that, but instead of a train, uh, you're building a city. So it's a city builder, a little bit like Skylines or SimCity, but in a post-apocalyptic world. And the gimmick is is that there's a there's a this single generator that you found that's making heat and as far as you know it might be the only heat left on the entire planet so you're gathered around it in this kind of shanty town and you're essentially refugees who arrived at this place and you build tents around it all huddled around the heat uh, and it's in a crater um, so then the way the game works is you build the city out from the generator and the further out you get the colder it is so you send people out to work and they get frostbite because they're too far away from the generator during the day um, and so you have to build linked networks of new heat generating structures, but you're always very, very undetected, and you're essentially trying to survive. And what was really interesting is that they they said that the the lead designer who I was talking to said that the 
that what they wanted to do was make a survival game which asked the question why are we bothering to try to survive he said there are so many survival games where you just want to go on living because that's what you do and he said but he wanted to ask the question how do you motivate a society of people who can see no future for themselves no no positive future how do you motivate them to stay alive so um so it's it's incredibly grim uh, and a little bit like this war of mine it has lots of um kind of plucked from the headline stuff in it you have to manage the politics of this society and you can pass new laws and it's very much inspired by um Victorian um, work laws as well so very early on you have this limited workforce of adults and you can pass laws to say okay we're going to have to make the children work as well because otherwise everyone's going to die so we need to send the children out to cut wood uh, mine coal and then you can pass further laws to say children are allowed to work only in safe spaces or they can do dangerous life-threatening jobs Uh, you can pass laws to say and it does get very grim you can pass laws to say hey we're not getting enough food so maybe we have to start considering eating the corpses of our friends and family uh, so it's it's incredibly bleak but uh, but it's it's really effective and what i really liked about it is that the the core of the city building is really solid but it's all built around this constant time pressure the temperature occasionally fluctuates so sometimes you'll get an incredibly cold day and nobody can go out to work or they're going to risk just hypothermia and death and then you get days where it's a little bit milder and everyone can you know work at full functionality and you're constantly looking at the needs of the many against the risk to the few uh in a way that seems really effective and yeah i was really impressed by it so it's very very different from this war of mine then yeah i mean it has some similarities in that you are managing a fairly small group of people it's much bigger than this war of mine which is essentially a, a house full of survivors um but there's still a personal element to each of them uh but fundamentally it's it's playing with a lot of the ideas in games like city skylines but doing it in you know a world that is incredibly hostile um yeah and really impressed by it what is there in those games that like are they just for the um the super elite survival people who love those games but don't feel like they get tough enough choices or is there something in there for for people like me who maybe who who that hardcore hardcore survival element isn't going to be enough to keep me coming back obviously it's very hard to get a full impression of a game like that um when you only play it for half an hour but as far as i can tell it's not going to be like ultra difficult as in you're constantly running out of resources and having to spin lots of plates it's more about making difficult decisions um so it's i think it's more narrative based there is a sandbox mode um but there is actually a narrative mode as well where you actually uh you there is an end game you essentially have to survive i think it's for 60 days or 80 days um and then there's an end game there is actually a story there the generator goes off yeah well that's the thing it's like is it gonna have a happy ending it doesn't seem like it's gonna have a happy ending um but yeah, there's 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 lots of stuff which feels almost like an um, you know one of these uh, RPGs with lots of decisions in. Like one of the early choices you have to make is if somebody gets hurt while they're working or gets frostbite, or you know someone can break their leg in a mine, or they come back and they've got frostbite. You can say, okay, uh, we're going to let this person die because they can no longer work, or you can say we're going to build a medical center 
where we can treat them and they'll never get better. They'll never be able to come back and work for you. So they're essentially eating your food without contributing. But if you decide that you're just going to let them die, obviously that has a negative effect. And there's, um, so like in something like Skylines, you're basically looking at how much money you've got and how happy people are. In this, you've got uh, two bars that you need to measure. One is hope and one is despair. Uh, and you can have <laughs> yeah so it's like and this is the whole it's like thing. children of man the game well yeah absolutely i mean it's tapping into a lot of um uh science fiction ideas it's also inspired very much by um true stories like touching the void which is a uh, was the film that's about two mountaineers and one of them fell and was presumed dead and his um his companion left him and he crawled down a mountain um back to to survive uh, and 48 or oh, 72 hours even which is the guy who uh, cut his own leg off when he got mm. stuck between two rocks was it his leg or his arm oh, was it his arm this is his arm sorry his arm yeah yeah all limbs are the same to me <laughs> <laughs> the guy cut his own head off <laughs> yeah yeah too many computer games what i really liked about it is that none of this was done as like you know look at how extreme this is it was it, it's portrayed as being extremely harrowing it's not it's not in any way like, oh, this is cool. You know, this is like, you know, you get to make all these, you know, amazing choices. They were very much saying this is horrible. We know it's horrible. These are choices you don't want to have to make. Uh, but if you don't, then everyone might die because, you know, you run out of food. But yeah, very cold and very promising. Right. Well, so that was Frostpunk, Frostpunk right? Frostpunk, yeah. yeah. Okay, cool. What's the punk element? Uh, because it's... Um, the, the technology is very um, steampunk-esque because you're using steam for a lot of the stuff and they were like, well, it's steampunk, but it's cold, so frostpunk. Okay, fine. <laughs> Shall we move on to uh, another game? What's your what's your choice of poison? Uh, well, I want to talk about Destiny 2. Um, yes. Yeah, and I specifically want to pick your brains about it. Uh, so oh, really? yeah, well, right. So my entire experience with Destiny One is playing the demo of it. So there's loads of stuff I could say about Destiny Two uh, that I don't actually know anything about because I didn't get to do multiplayer stuff. I didn't get to do loot management or any of that. I just got to play the first campaign mission. And the oh. thing was, I was like, this is actually a really good FPS game. And in my head, it wasn't. Destiny was going to be a bit more like Borderlands. It was, you know, lots of bullet spongy enemies and, you know, like it's basically an MMO-ish shooter. But, like, there's really cool locational damage and, like, you know, it's you're properly blowing canisters off people's backs and doing headshots and shooting things in the legs so they stumble. And it's just a really good FPS game. And is Destiny 1 a really good FPS game? Yeah. <laughs> okay. I didn't know that. I just assumed it was all health bars that were massive and you're just like, We've got to keep shooting this thing for half an hour. It's also that. <laughs> I mean, like, there are elements of that, especially with some of the tougher bosses, especially if, you know, you haven't got your armor and, you know, character up to a particular light level, you know. Uh, you can definitely have those kinds of experiences. But generally, it's, like, at its best, it's geared around all of these amazing... Um, really beautifully designed encounters you know especially the raids they're just such a 
fun thing to get a group of people together to actually figure out and to sort of respond to patterns of attacks and like you know work out like how to use your uh, environment to fix or solve or even bypass um particular bits and pieces so yeah like that stuff has always been um good like really really good um and the shooting itself has always been uh really polished and just really lovely feeling can can i ask a really stupid question because sure. i think my character was a warlock is that right uh well i mean I, if you're cool it was warlocks yes. exist right so yeah yes. it was a warlock yeah so there were all kinds of like shields and stuff and i was like i don't know which bits are science and which bits are magic is there actual magic the idea of it is that it's light and stuff that comes from the traveler which is the big orb so it's kind of it's space magic that gets blown up in destiny 2 no you're uh, the traveler gets wheel clamped and it's the um it's the it's the tower gets blown tower, up yeah, yeah but the so the light is the thing that powers why do you know more about it than i do i've played it <laughs> Because I watched the presentation like a oh, dweeb. God. Oh. <laughs> that is one of the things that really I really didn't like about Destiny is that it, they called it light. Like, and they said, oh, the light must defeat the darkness. It's like the laziest, <laughs> like, little story thing you could come up with. Like, come on, call it something else. Did you see the, the thing where they said in an interview that they had no idea what the darkness was? <laughs> I mean, of course they don't. Like, they're just, just something they say. Well, they're just like, we're kind of dropping that for the sequel because we don't know what it is and we never figured it out and it was just kind of a word, so... Yeah, it just means baddies. It's like, they're like politicians, like, just trying to secure their position by saying, oh, we must defeat the darkness. What's the darkness mean? Um, it's, it's, um, <laughs> those people over there, they work for it. <laughs> well, you know what? I didn't know what was going on. Um, and I was quite happy with that. There were massive spaceships, things were blowing up in really spectacular, colourful fashion, and I was like, this is fine. I thought I was really having a good time with it. For me, it feels like the way that I think Call of Duty thinks it is. So with, you know, the set pieces and the kind of mm. corridor shootery bits of the single player campaign and um, all of that kerfuffle, uh, which showcase some amazing understanding, I think, of, you know, cinematic yeah. game design. Um, so it exceeded your expectations in terms of... What... Yeah, massively, yeah. I, I, I think that I probably went in in the right way in that I was kind of expecting, not to be underwhelmed by it, but to be expecting not to want to play it. I thought, you know, it's not, it's probably not for me, but, um, but yeah, I absolutely loved it. Um, and, and, you know, it, it's Bungie, so I guess it's a very obvious reference, but it did remind me of playing the first Halo for the first time. I, I said in the article I wrote about it, they reminded me of like a Saturday morning cartoon, which I meant as a big compliment, just because it's so colourful and uh, there's just so much happening on screen, and yeah, I thought it was great. Yeah, mm. I think that's why the um, the more sort of clanging elements of the narrative don't really bother me because they seem to fit with, or uh, at least they don't seem egregious because it's like okay, well, it gets so much else right in terms of for me, it's just this really fun, bombastic experience that feels lovely to play and has some amazing sort of encounters threaded within it 
for me, I can't really look at it objectively because obviously over time you develop fondnesses for characters or you sort of, you get, you know, the jokes uh, about particular characters or uh, there was a Halloween event which kind of hinged around or where you went around to, to sort of trick or treat the the people who are usually populating the tower, the NPCs, and one of them, uh, I think it was Eris, she's kind of a bit cranky and she gives you just a box of raisins instead of anything fun. And so it's like <laughs> little touches like that. But So my other question here is, does it feel to you like it plays like a PC port of a console game? No, not at all. I mean, um, I jump straight in mouse and keyboard you know the whole shebang and i think that was the big surprise i was like this just feels like picking up any any pc shooter um the things that i want to see more of is the interface in terms of the inventory and loot management and stuff like that i don't know how that works properly it was in the build i played but uh i was too busy shooting things and <laughs> uh and i'm gonna admit something really terrible here i didn't figure out how to pick up loot I couldn't figure it out. There was no, no one told me how to do it. So, <laughs> but it was only the first campaign mission, so it's kind of tutorially in a way, anyway. So you pick up engrams, which are those like, or in the previous game, you picked up like these glowing, I don't know, d12s, and you had to go and get them decrypted by. Oh, so you can't just pick up things on the fly, like when you kill people. No, you can. Pick oh, up... right. Yeah, in that case, I I wasn't screwing up because I thought can I not pick up this gun because it was lying there? So that's fine. Oh, if it's just, if it's a thing, a physical thing that's lying there. No, no, I didn't do it wrong. Couldn't, definitely couldn't. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah. Brendy, did you have anything that you were interested in on the Destiny front? Like, well, do you think you'll go back to it? Um, I don't know because I didn't really fall in love with the first Destiny. Um, I was a huge Halo nerd. Um, but, uh, and I thought Destiny, yeah, like you say, it feels really, really good. The gunplay is really satisfying, the way you move around. They get the dance kind of just right. Mm. But um, I didn't kind of like the move to the the online MMO light kind of stuff. Mm. Um, and all the grinding that you have to do for guns. And it's, you know, tiered to levels. And I didn't really like that. Right, right. I felt, I felt like I was being pushed to, you know, just gear up and grind up. And there was nothing motivating me to do it because they were just saying, well, you're doing it because you're light, man. Like, you got to get, you got, you're the light, you know? <laughs> and yeah, I don't know. I just, I, I just didn't stick with it. Um, so, but I'm willing to give Destiny 2 a go. I'm always willing. Would you like to talk a little bit about Shadow of War as well. I know that was the other the other big big one. Yeah, for you. I'll be I'll be really quick on this because I know people have already played the original, it's not anything new. So it's the sequel to Shadow of Mordor, which was the game that introduced the Nemesis system, which is the really cool thing where uh there are um persistent enemies through the game, these orcs and they level up and they get new skills and abilities and even if you fight them and hurt them then they'll come back and have scars and stuff. And um, I was never completely convinced by it. Um, I loved the ideas, but I didn't particularly like the combat. I didn't particularly like the stealth. I was like, I want to love this game, but I didn't. And Shadow of War just expands that whole system. So it's this 
huge open world game that has all the nemesis stuff in it but now also has like a buddy system so you can convert the orcs to your side uh once you've beaten them you can uh either kill them or humiliate them which makes them level down or you can convert them and make them work for you and then there's this uh entire new section of the game where you have to take over citadels because you're actually fighting a war uh so you go to these citadels you see which war chiefs are in it and these are all um characters that that level up and develop dynamically based on what they're doing in the world. Even when you're not there, they'll fight each other and squabble and get levels and new abilities and new equipment. Uh, and you go there and you see how many war chiefs are around and you pick your own war chiefs and they all start yelling at each other, like football hooligans, like just uh, yelling out insults at each other. And then you just do a big fight over this citadel and it's like a mini tactical combat game where you're still doing all the third-person ac third action stuff. But you can also command your troops to like take the walls or knock down gates with siege towers. Sorry, battering rams or get siege towers set up, and and you pick uh, like abilities to come with you. So you can have like dragons like flying over and breathing fire on everyone, or you can introduce like wild creatures that just attack everybody. Uh, and it's just absolutely amazing. And yeah, it was. I think it was the best thing I played. Just fell in love with it. Um, and it's really interesting because. Seeing a game like that, which is like a big blockbuster title from a big publisher, that's sitting next to, and I wrote an article about this, but it's sitting next to uh, games like Far Cry, Assassin's Creed, and you know all these other open world games. And I'm just like, this is the only one that is that has a core system that makes the world feel alive in in, in this incredibly unique way. Yeah, I was absolutely won over, and I still think that the, there's some. Uh, jankiness in the in the combat, uh, you know, it's not quite as good as you'd want it to be. It feels a little bit like the Arkham combat still, the Arkham uh, Asylum combat. It's all about chaining and free flowing moves together, uh, but it's it's certainly good enough. And all these systems running behind it are just fascinating. Does it manage to make Lord of the Rings interesting? Well, <laughs> <laughs> nothing will ever manage that. What? So the so with um, Shadow of Mordor. That was one of my issues with it. I was like, I don't care about the setting. And also, I don't think they've made the setting interesting as its own thing. This one, and so many different people are going to hate me for saying this, but it's essentially a Warhammer game. Okay. Uh, they've just full on gone like, you know, oh, what if our orcs are just basically the Warhammer orcs now? Like down to the fact that there's like a, a new thing where you can, you can like, if you cut an orc in half, um, there's one. A clan of orcs called the machine orcs and if they find that body they can reconstruct him using junk and scrap and he'll come back with like a metal leg and like a oh, metal jaw and hook you down like uh, and it's yeah i mean it's just it's, that's almost like a 40k orc but yeah it just it feels like warhammer it's got it's got nothing to do with tolkien if tolkien saw it he'd just be like you know either he'd be like this is exactly what i thought teenagers would do with my work <laughs> Or he'd just think that it was utterly unrelated to anything he'd ever done in his life. I think that is the best thing, that they could, the best direction that they could go yeah. with this. Because the orcs were always the best thing about the first game. No, like, any time there was a cutscene with the main character and his, like, elf possessor yeah. ghost, I was just like, snore, I don't care about this. But any cutscene where he was, like, talking to an orc or... Well, um, it, trying to like get the orcs to fight each other is always more fun, and it feels like from what I've seen of it, like I've only seen the little bit where he's talking to a, an orc called Bruce. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> who's 
is a stereotypically uh, Australian orc for some reason. Um, and I just feel like when you look at them, their facial expressions, the way their bodies move, the way that they kind of, you know, they're acting is so much better than the main characters. And it's so much more interesting. So anything that, that puts the focus on them is going to be good. It's a really smart move that they decided, oh, we're going to do a war, but it's not going to be a war between humans and orcs or elves and orcs. It's just orcs versus orcs. Because, yeah, they're the bit that people like. You're pitting them against each other you know, in these massive battles. And, yeah, at the beginning of each one, if you've ever played a total war game, there's the bit at the beginning of a fight where your general will come out and he rallies the troops and he's like, you know, our backs might be against the wall, but we can take this city. And it's just that, but, you know, with really funny regional accents. And it's great. <laughs> nice. Like I had one guy who had an axe like embedded in his head, and like all the time he's doing his speech, he just keeps scratching it and wincing. <laughs> it's just great. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, he had an axe in his head because when I, you know, converted him to my side, I did it by throwing an axe into his head to finish him off. And it's just still embedded in the like, <laughs> part of his character now. That's wonderful. Oh, I like that. That sounds like the the book Tolkien should have written. That's in the Cimmerillion, I think. <laughs> is it now? <laughs> oh man. Um, is there anything else that you did at E three that you would like to confess to or talk about before we move on to the news of the day? Uh, no, but th- there's loads of stuff going up on the site. Everything that I've seen, played, talked about will be going up on the site. I'm gonna do. Uh, kind of roundup of what the actual show was like as well um, so it'll all be coming um, but yeah those, we should move on nice. to, to modern times because E3 was ages ago now <laughs> in that case if we link to the uh, the tag page so that people can sift through all of your content nuggets Mm, content nuggets anyway speaking of content nuggets uh brendan you have been at the news helm this week and i believe you have some gta 5 mod news to bring us yeah you say i've been at the news helm but really i've just stolen this news from alice to talk about (laughs) on the podcast nice (laughs) but yeah um gta the gta universe has been upset this week um, because Take Two, who are the publishers behind GTA, made a cease and desist order against a group of modders who have a tool called Open Four. It's kind of like if you are a modder and you want to make new cars or weapons or put character models in the game. So if you want to import like Homer Simpson to San Andreas, then you have to like. It's good that you use this tool, Open Four. It just helps you to do it. Um, helps you to make it and import things. It's all like single player stuff mostly. And you can use it for GTA 4 and 5 because it's been out that long. It's been around for years. But Take 2 came out and they looked at it and they said, no, stop, stop what you're doing. Don't, don't do that anymore. We know you've been doing it for, you know, the best part of the last decade. Don't, don't do that anymore. Um, and it's vastly upset a lot of modders and a lot of um, GTA uh, 5 players. Because they now will have less um, stuff to get, mm. you know, stuff to mod into their game. Like if they want a Lamborghini, they can get a Lamborghini. But maybe someone hasn't made the right Porsche that they want yet. I don't know. <laughs> but uh, there's been a bit of a furore about it. 
I think a lot of people went and down downvoted it, gave it bad reviews on Steam. They gave GTA Five bad reviews on Steam, and they turned it to overwhelmingly negative. Yeah, I um, saw that. Like the most recent glut of reviews, the current ones are just yeah a yeah. pile on. So it's it's been a bit of a, a mess. Um, the thing is, is that Take Two and Rockstar have said that they have asked them to stop this because it's to stop cheaters on in GTA Online, mm. and it feels like that's kind of a half excuse because they say that open for this tool allowed cheaters to break through security features that allowed them to cheat online. But it's not clear exactly how they would do that. And Rockstar and Take-Two have asked a load of other cheating sites to close down. There's one called Force Hacks, there's one called Lexicon, one called Menu, and they have also shut down. So it feels like they do really want to attack those legitimate cheating targets because those cheaters will do things like fly around um, the city at like super speed they'll spawn loads of money they'll like uh, they'll use new guns weird weapons to kill you at a moment's notice you know they'll be able to do whatever they want and that's ruining the game for a lot of people so whenever they ask to shut those down it feels like that that's a legitimate target mm. but they're also asking this open four tool to stop what it's doing and it feels like they're penalizing modders specifically um, who are making single player content which Alice pointed out uh, Rockstar themselves don't make anymore. So if you want to enjoy new single player content, you have to rely on modders for that. Mm. And if if this modding tool gets taken away, then you get less things to play with. Yeah. Um, so it's upset a lot of people. Yeah, I saw that like coming out as one of the, the main reasons that people were upset was that it, it's not a case of just waiting for uh, for Rockstar to come up with alternatives or to come up with their own single player stuff. It's that that community is being massively underserved and the game isn't being sort of sustained if you are just interested in single player. Yes, and also it, it the thing is they've said is about cheaters, but it may also be related to the fact that the same people who who made this um, open four tool. We're also making a Liberty City converter tool, which is a, a, a thing that would take Liberty City from GTA 4, basically do some digital magic to it, mm. and then plop it in the sea next to GTA 5's city. Mm. And you would just take a boat and you would go over to Liberty City and there would be people there, there'd be cars there. They may not be the cars and people from GTA 4, it was unclear. Mm. But you would be able to just tool around in Liberty City like that's a massive thing, and Take Two specifically told them to to stop working on that at the same time as they told them to stop working on Open Four. Mm. So it feels like maybe that has irritated the suits at Take Two. You know, the modders are putting their fingers in the pies that they shouldn't be putting their fingers in. <laughs> They're Liberty City pies. Mm. Um, so it's just a bit a big old a big old mess. The modders are upset. A lot of players who like to install mods are upset in um, and Take Two, I think, have kind of overreached. That's the thing. It feels to me like it's one of those ultra heavy handed tone deaf responses that has maybe a few valid business concerns that they can point to, but it also has a bunch of, you know, uh, other bits and pieces that just either are or look money-grubbing and, and make you look um, really out of step. What's the phrase that I'm looking for? Like, bringing a hammer to a sandwich fight, or, like, 
what's the you know like just bringing a thing that is too much to a thing that is small <laughs> bringing a lion to to a cat cafe yeah like cat cafe. <laughs> <laughs> that should be the phrase yeah but anyway that's the news gta 5 a mod tool is gone people don't like that but yeah, and we have a bunch of uh, good news coverage on that front. If you want to know more about the basics, just uh, follow the link in the accompanying article. So let's move on to what we have been playing this week in between the uh, jet lag and the ice creams. I believe Darkest Dungeon has been on your menu, Adam. Yes. So the, the expansion came out, uh, the Crimson Court. And uh, I love Darkest Dungeon. I absolutely adore it. I forget how much I like it and start up, start playing it again. And then I just, oh God, it's so good. Adam, what is Darkest Dungeon? So it was kickstarted. It was one of these quite early kickstarters. And it came along and they were like, we're going to make a dungeon crawling RPG. But uh, we're going to concentrate on the toll that dungeon crawling takes on adventurers. Because dungeons are horrible, right? I mean... The place is full of monsters in the dark, and you're getting you know, attacked by monsters, and it's horrid. So uh, Red Hook, the studio that made the game, uh, went with this idea that if you are the kind of person who goes crawling in dungeons, I don't know why they're crawling, but you know people go on dungeon crawls, don't they? So uh, if you go crawling around dungeons, you're probably not going to be um, coming out of it feeling that great. So there's all these. Um, sanity effects i guess you'd call them uh so the more stressed they get the more horrors they have to face the more injuries they take your heroes all get um different modifiers so they can get paranoid they can get terrified and there's just loads of different modifiers they can have what does the crimson thing bring to it then so yeah so the crimson court the the idea of the game is you're rebuilding your family estate and the crimson court adds a new area to the estate which is the courtyard and uh, it's all vampires, basically. That's why it's crimson, <laughs> you see. So you've got Lovecraftian stuff in some bits, undead stuff in other bits, all these different types of horrors. And these are the vampires. But in true Darkest Dungeon style, rather than being, you know, your traditional, like, oh, I'm slightly sexy, but I'm going to bite your neck. I don't know what that accent is. <laughs> I don't know what that is. That was weird. Um, North London. I bought to suck your blood. <laughs> uh, <laughs> So instead of being instead of being that guy, uh, <laughs> you they, sound like one of those people who's just come back from a gap year and can't decide where they've settled their accent. That is pretty much how I see sexy vampires. <laughs> gap year vampires, there's too many of them. Um, so instead of being gap year vampires, these are they're aristocratic vampires. But what sucks blood? I ask you that question. Lice. Frogs. Lice what? is good. Frogs don't. That's wrong. Leeches. Lice, leeches, and mosquitoes. Fleas, so yes, ticks. mosquitoes is they've got they've gone with mosquitoes. Okay, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> but essentially, yeah, horrible, blood-sucking, insecty things. So what's really cool is that these aristocratic people who have just got like flies' heads and like horrible insecty arms and stuff are all mutated. And and they look great. And like one of them is a, a is a um, servant. Uh, so because they used to, it's where they had all the decadent parties, the courtyard. Uh, and he's got like a serving tray. And I can't remember the exact name of his attack. One of his attacks is like withering disdain. 
And he kind of holds the tray out to you and then turns his back. And your character's are like, no, and goes slightly mad. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, it's, it's great. It's too hard, which is kind of a Darkest Dungeon thing, is that it's an incredibly tough game. It's a permadeath and you do lose parents a lot. I feel like they're going to have to do some balance on this or I'm going to have to get better at it because it is very difficult. It adds this whole new area, as I mentioned. It also adds all the new enemies, but there's a new mechanic, which is that your characters can get infested and essentially they get uh, the Crimson Curse, it's called, which means they become vampiric and you need to feed them blood or they eventually wither away and die. Um, and blood just kind of drops randomly from enemies. And yeah, I find it really tough because like, all my characters are in sanitariums just you know, suffering from the Crimson Curse and it's not very pleasant. Is it one of those expansions that is likely to open the game up to new players? No, or is not it... at all. Okay, no, no. so it's more it's... for people who stuck with it. Yeah, more it doesn't take place at the end of the game. You can load up a save game and add it straight in, but I think it's really intended to be, you know, you're supposed to really start a new game to get introduced to it more slowly, but it can just plug straight into a save game. But it takes place parallel to the main campaign. It's not end game content or anything like that. Uh, it's quite an unusual structure, Darkest Dungeon, because you have all these different areas uh, to to go adventuring in, but they're all kind of equivalent, um, so you can do them in any order, and they get harder as you play them rather than being tiered, if that makes sense. I, I just It's one of those things where sometimes it's just nice to have an expansion that reminds you how much you enjoy the game already, and I've gone back to it, and I'm just like, yeah, I can happily play this for another 20, 30 hours. I may give that a go, because I've heard so many good things. It's more just, I it's so not my comfort zone that everything else has always taken priority, but it does keep I think it's just beckoning. really aesthetically pleasing. Like, it's, um, it's all this gothic gloom, but it's done in such a tongue-in-cheek way. It's, it's one of the few games that I think treats Lovecraft exactly how he deserves to be treated, which is like a bit of a buffoon. <laughs> um, so all the language is like dripping with like over-the-top adjectives and it's just so ludicrous that it almost, it, you know, it's, it's at the kind of satirical end, but it's still grim enough that it works. Mm. How about you, Brendy? What have you been playing? Um, I have been playing a game called Kenshi which is a sandbox squad-based RPG, a very, very strange one. It's kind of like if anyone's played Worm Online, but it's not online, but it also doesn't have as many things, but it also is a little bit like Might and Blade, and it's set in a weird... <laughs> it's set in a weird um, Japanese kind of universe, which is all desert and swamps and rocklands, filled with um, robot skeletons made out of like scrap and horned creatures that can walk and talk like people. Oh yeah, it's like a survival game as well, on top of all that. Hmm. How easily do you think that description that you just gave lends itself to anyone understanding that game? <laughs> well, this is the thing. It's a game which is difficult to understand if I just told you what it is but <laughs> it is also a game that is difficult to understand when you play it nice you're just a, like a little guy like you start off um you have like a bunch of different starting scenarios uh you can be like a wanderer who starts with like a thousand cats which is not not actual cats but the currency is called cats right so you have a thousand cats you're just this guy who wanders around 
um, and you can go into a shop and buy like a backpack and some building materials and try and build a house and make a farm and stuff like this but you are not like superhero you're not super powered in any way you don't have any fighting skills you're not very good at anything if even one bandit comes and ne- there's never just one bandit it's always like seven Mm. you will die you will get hit on the head you'll get knocked unconscious you can't apply a first aid kit to yourself if you don't wake up you know if you don't wake up within 200 seconds you're never going to get up <laughs> wow um, <That's> some... <laughs> uh, so i i did a whole um premature evaluation which is our early access um reviews um about it uh basically i played three different people um, and you can read all about well, how they get up, how they get on, but uh, the last family that I made was interesting because I I made I made like a group of people. They're all the same family, so to speak. And I ventured them out into the desert, and lo and behold, they did get attacked by a, a group of bandits, seventeen strong, who decided to take basically nothing from their bodies. It was like muggers basically came out. And said, give me everything you've got. And we emptied our pockets. And all that was in our pockets was like some flour that wasn't in a bag. Which came out like dust in our hands. And you know, in the other pocket was like a, you know, like a flag that was kind of like ragged. Mm. And they went, okay, you don't have anything, but we're going to murder you. And they just knocked us all out. And all six of us were just like lying on the ground dying. Um, and I thought, that's it, this is it, game over. I'm done with this game, it's too difficult, it, it's mad, it's very interesting in a lot of ways, but there's no way I can play this. And then uh, one of my characters woke up, and she started playing dead, because the band, the bandit group was still too close, and the game knows that if she gets up, she'll get attacked immediately again, because she'll have aggroed the people that are kind of just like 20 yards away. So she's automatically playing dead, and you only know that because there's a tiny little box at the bottom of the screen that says, playing dead. (laughs) The sad and tragic thing is that all her family members are dying around her. She's not dying, but she's just lying there trying to, like, catch her breath and make sure she isn't spotted. But she can't go over to her her mum, her dad, her brothers, her sisters, and fix them up with a med kit because she'll get seen. Because it's the middle of the day in the blistering desert, and there's no way she can move without being seen. This is so, so bleak. It, is, it was very bleak. It was something, I was playing this game like thinking, this is a laugh, what, what a silly game, it's so stupid. And then this horrible thing happened where I had to lie in the desert <laughs> and watch my family die one by one as the sun went down, hoping that night would come before everybody died. <laughs> And is it wrong that I really want to play it? <laughs> you can find out what happened if you read the uh, the article. One one of my family members, apart from the woman who uh, who woke up, survived. So there was two of us, and we went to live in a swamp, basically. And uh, that's kind of where it ends in the article. But I played a little bit more last night, and it it's just bonkers, like. We went to live in a swamp town, basically, just the two of us, and we bought a little shack in a swamp town, and we made, you know, like a barrel to put the wheat in, but then we don't have any wheat, because you can't grow wheat in a swamp, obviously, you stupid people from the desert. And and then I realized, okay, well, what can you grow in a swamp? And I looked around, and everybody else was growing rice, and I can't, like, work in their rice farms, because, you know, I'm not a swamper, and I'm not, like, welcome there or something. And I was like, okay, I'll grow my own rice, forget you people. Um, how do you grow rice game? And I looked it up and built a little research desk and the research desk said, oh, you can build rice if you want, 
but you need to have read two books. <laughs> and I was like, I don't, I don't have two books. And I went to like the local shop, which is right next door in the swamp. And she's got like every helmet in the world. She will sell you. Uh, you don't want a helmet? She'll sell you a blueprint for a helmet. And you can make your own helmets. How about that? And I was like, no, I want two books. I just want some books so I can read them and know how to plant rice. Because no one in this swamp will tell me how to plant rice. <laughs> despite the fact that you're all doing it. And I can't just watch you. And they were like, no, we don't have any books. Sorry, see ya. So I had to... I had to separate my two lone survivors you know my two survivors from the um from the attack uh who are called skimbo and jazina <laughs> i needed the fastest one to run back to an outpost across the desert through the valley that we got attacked in to go and buy two books basically no oh, god <laughs> from the nearest like bookshop <laughs> Was it any books? Could you like read Great Expectations and then learn about rice? Um, it, yeah, the books are just generic. They're called books. They're artifacts from some distant era that nobody remembers anymore. That's how I got my degree. I just read generic books. <laughs> English literature degree. <laughs> One of them would have to run back to the town I knew. And I was like, okay, so we need the fastest person. And I basically emptied all... I didn't know what their stats were different, but I basically emptied everything from their backpacks and got them to run around the swamp like a little race to see who was the fastest. <laughs> it turns out Jazina, the youngest, is the fastest. So I was like, all right, Jazina, off you pop. And she had to go on a massive journey, like through the desert, through a sandstorm. She wore little goggles. She had to get to the, the, the outpost. She went in and she was like, do you have any books? And the guy was like, lucky for you, we have 36 books. They're all just about the same thing. <laughs> They're not about anything. You just get them. And I was like, I'll have some of those. And I had to run the whole way back to this swamp. But the thing is, when I got back to the swamp, I had I had looted some corpses along the way and basically got a nice new coat. And when I got back to the swamp, I didn't realize, but one of the corpses I looted was one of the gate guards at the swamp. And they saw that I was wearing oh, wow. the coat that I had stolen from the corpse of one of their own. And they went, that is not your coat. You got that from one of our mates. And started running after me, even though I live in their town. Just the pockets of the coat full of rice. Just like, oh no. Yeah, and there was there was four of them. And I knew it would never win that. So I was like, oh my god, what am I going to do? And I ran the whole way back out to the desert. And I ran up to the bandits that murdered my family. And I was like, do you remember me? I've brought you some more people to murder if you want. And I did a little circle around the bandits so that the gate guards would attack the bandits and the bandits would attack the gate guards. And then I ran away back to the swamp, which was now unguarded, and just like ran into the my new house, locked the door and was like, okay, right, I've got good news and bad news. The good news is here's <laughs> six books. We can learn as much about rice as we want, Skimbo. <laughs> but um, there are no guards left in this town anymore. So when raiders come... We are dead. <laughs> I mean, you don't you don't get this in Fallout, do you? Has no, to be said. No. Um, but like the thing is, like I tell this big story, and it sounds really fun. It is also filled with the jankiest, yeah, dumbest UI and the the worst learning curve that you can have in a game. So I mean, that's Kenshi. If anyone wants to play a, a weird half might and blade, half Morrowind type thing, then you know, give it a shot, but 
just don't forget to buy books, I guess. <laughs> it's the moral of the story. <laughs> just learn. Learn stuff. Oh, man. Um, I believe this week sees the return of the Patch Adam feature, where we quiz Adam on patch notes, real and imagined. <laughs> Are you taking part as well, Pip? Yes, but if if I do badly, no. <laughs> okay, that that's logical. Um, okay, so Patch Adam is when we mix up some uh, real patch notes from a video game with some fake patch notes that we've made up, and then we ask Adam and Pip which are real and which are not real. So it's true or false with patch notes. Are we focusing on a particular patch for a particular game, or are they just plucked from the E3 ether? No, we are focusing this week on Dwarf Fortress and the patch notes of the year 2014, mostly. Oh, oh wow. This is this is actually my mastermind subject. <laughs> so uh, so we'll see we'll see how you do here. Okay. You ready? I'm ready. Yes. Okay. Stopped dwarves from trying to clean their own missing or internal body parts. <laughs> uh, yes, that's, re- that's real. That's real. It is true. Yes. Got rid of mating at a distance. <laughs> um, I might just go with true for all of these because Dwarf Fortress. I, I think that's true. It's also true. Yes. Fixed necromancers behaving inappropriately. False. That's inappropriately too sounds too vague. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, what is an inappropriate necromancer? <laughs> oh, I don't. I don't want to know the answer to that. It's false. It is false. Yes. All right. Removed master viper and replaced it with unknowable viper. True. I I'm going to say false, but I, I yeah I think it's probably true. It doesn't sound like the kind of thing you'd make up. It is the kind of thing I make up. It's yes. false. <laughs> I'm so worried about you, Brendan. Why do you get that when you 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 hedged your bets? You were like, oh, yeah, yeah you don't really get false. that. No, I said I'm going to say. I said I'm going to say. Oh no, I definitely. You said I'm going to say false, but I don't false. believe in it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because oh no, I I said false. I get that point. Oh, Whatever. unbelievable, outrageous. All right, let's move on. Stopped chained up mothers from seeking wandering infants. True. True. It is true. Yeah. Babies no longer start strapped with a knife. <laughs> false, because I think you'd find that funny to make up. I think it's false. It's true. Oh, what? how did that happen? <laughs> what coding nightmare produces babies that are automatically strapped with a knife? I don't know, but, you know, it's Dwarf Fortress. <laughs> yeah, that is the answer, Dwarf Fortress. <laughs> okay. Stopped blood evaporation from setting clothes and fabrics on fire. False. True? It's false. Oh. Blood doesn't burn even when it's evaporating. Stopped ghosts from maintaining secret identities. I want that to be true. Wait, no, I want that it existed to be true. I don't want them to have fixed it. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, let's go true. It is true. Yes. So they fixed it, Pip. I'm sorry. (sighs) Mere diplomats make more reasonable decisions rather than attacking other diplomats, etc. Pardon? False. Is this about Brexit? 
<laughs> oh, zing. True, just because I wasn't really, I haven't taken on board that, so I'm just going to pick the other one. Uh, it's false. Okay. <laughs> oh. Okay, here's the last one. Stopped zombies from interrupting your sleep to ask if they can help you with anything. I want that to be true. <laughs> I want it to be true. It's true. Yes. yes. This is the problem with uh, these patch notes, is that removing all of these features is surely made Dwarf Fortress objectively worse. It is a worse game, I think, yeah. as a result of all of the things that they've Dwarf clearly Fortress done. Dwarf Fortress early 2014, 2014 was peak Dwarf Fortress. Oh, man. Clearly. Yeah. <laughs> you had ghosts going around, maintaining their secret aliases. You, you had zombies <laughs> just wandering in and, go, and asking, oh, can I can I help you with, with that there? You, you know, have any problems? <laughs> Well, maybe you feel like wriggling too much in your sleep and they're like, are you all right? There's one dwarf in a room having sex with another dwarf in another room. (laughs) And then a baby was born holding a knife. (laughs) Must have been a very varied game. Do you think we should actually score these? Because I realise that we bill it as a quiz and then... (laughs) Isn't our tradition to just ask you who won? Oh, uh, Adam, I think. I I feel like he got more right. Since we don't do scores, that means I am now recommended. <laughs> <laughs> I just, uh, while we're on the subject of great roguelike weirdnesses, um, the game Caves of Cud, I want to call it, Q-U-D, oh, yeah. is a, another big complex weird roguelike. I saw this today, which is just a three-sentence or three-instance action from Caves of Cud, which is, you imbue the door with life, the door says, what am I? The door dies. <laughs> 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 nice. <laughs> Very good. Oh. <laughs> and that, I believe, is all of the hot hashtag content uh, we have time for this week. Uh, I believe all of the methods of getting in touch with us are as follows. There is the website upon which we work, rockpapershotgun.com. There is the Twitter, which is at rockpapershotgun. At rockpapershot. Rockpapershot, yes. Mm. And uh, would you like to individually reel off your Twitter addresses so that people can follow you individually? Yes, I, Adam, am at non-economical. Um, and I'm Brendy underscore C. And I'm at Philippa War, which is P-H-I-L-I-P-P-A-W-A-R-R, because it's got a ridiculous combo of single and double letters. Um, and if you enjoy our podcast, it would help us amazingly if you could leave us a nice review on iTunes. That's the best place for it, so that maybe more people can find us and listen to this uh, highly educated <laughs> video game nonsense, let's be honest. But yes, another episode done. Well done, everybody. Tick. 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 (laughs) Bye. Bye. Bye.
he'd be like an undertaker. That's a bizarro necromancer. An inappropriate necromancer might be doing... All right, guys, come on. Sorry.